1: Coaches, how are you? This is Coach Kevin Furtado for Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome to Episode 16 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing Coach Randy Montgomery, 34 years high school coach, 568 career wins, 21st all-time in Ohio, head boys basketball coach at West Branch High School in Ohio, his third year. Ohio Coach of the Year 1991 and 2000. 17 league championships, 25 sectional championships, seven district championships, two Ohio Final Fours, three Ohio AP State championships in 2000, 2001, 2004, and 11-20 win seasons. Let's welcome Coach Randy Montgomery from West Branch High School in Ohio. Hi, Coach. Hey,
0: Kevin. How's
1: it going? I'm doing great, Randy. Hey, welcome back. It's Coach Randy Montgomery, uh, head boys coach at uh, West Branch High School in Ohio. Coach, welcome back. It's good to talk to you.
0: Good to talk to you too, Kevin.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh how's everything going out there?
0: Well, pretty well. We're heading into uh, you know, late September, which is uh kind of the preseason for basketball. So, it's it's that time of the year the weather changes up here north and people start to think about basketball.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, um hey I tell again, um you know, I know a lot about where you've coached and a little bit about your background. Tell, about, tell the audience a little bit about the, the person that had a tremendous impact on you um, and uh, how you got started in the coaching.
0: Well, when I came out of college, I went around and, and um, actually worked at a number of uh, – Basketball camps in the summer, which were very popular at that time. Every college coach in the country really had camps. Bobby Knight and and uh, all the ones around every college campus had one. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And um, through that, I met Bob Huggins at his father's camp, actually here in Ohio. And it was a time when he was beginning his head coaching career, and and uh, took the job at Walsh. Uh, university here in Canton, and uh, I happened to be working at the camp then and got to know him that way and, and actually uh, became a member of his staff in 1980 uh, at Walsh for three years. So that was a very much a learning um, experience for me, not only from Bob, but his father, who was a legendary coach in Ohio high school basketball.
1: Yeah, and we talked about before about not too many coaches get the opportunity to be around a great coach like like a Bob Huggins. Um, what in particular did he help you with?
0: Well, specifically probably was um, um, I, I think the understanding of attention to detail, and it began with our practice uh-huh. plans, which were, you know, methodically thought through every day. I think Bob would spend, uh, you know, an hour and a half with us his assistants, every morning, you know, planning the practice for that day. So it wasn't something that just threw together and went into the gym and started to do it. You know, everything was broken down to the minute or to the, yeah, to the minute. And, uh, you know, it was usually a a good two and a half, three hour practice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Tell me a little bit about, since we're on that topic, tell me a little bit, how would Huggins, Coach Huggins, put together a practice plan? Give me an example of that. I don't don't think too many people would have that information. Um, What are some, some key things that he did that's maybe different than some other coaches?
0: Well, one thing it did is it keeps you on track. And I think that's what he understood. You know, the clock would run. The managers would keep track of uh, what was going on on the clock. So, for instance, at 3 o'clock, if practice began, it would be 3 o'clock to 3.03 would be, you know, some, some quick stretching or up and down running. And at 3.03 to 3.10 would be a fast break drill, maybe an 11-man break drill. Uh, and the managers would put, you know, seven minutes on the clock, and the clock would run, and it got down to zero. Buzzer would ring, and you'd go on to the next thing at 310. to 320 might be, uh, um, you know, footwork uh, for motion offense today, where you'd be doing reverse pivots and front pivots and different things that way, and then at three,
1: Hey, Coach. Hey. Okay, hey, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I tell you I, I haven't had that problem in a long time. Um, and I apologize. Uh I'm in a perfect area right here. Hey, t- continue on about your practice planning. I love that. Uh minute by minute. I absolutely love that. I love uh, cause that that's what I like to do. Uh continue on with that with that statement after a brief timeout we had.
0: <laughs> you know, what we used to do was uh we would spend uh, probably an hour, hour and a half in the morning, uh, Coach Huggins and I and the assistants, and we would sit there and talk about, uh, you know, a practice plan and, and actually, you know, pencil it out minute by minute all the way from 3 o'clock till usually 6 o'clock at night with each drill being marked, you know, for, for X amount of minutes. Generally, there were only five to eight-minute uh, segments. And you would, you know, do maybe 3 o'clock to 3.08 would be footwork. And uh, 3.08 to 3.15 would be an 11-man break. You know, 3.15 to 3.30 would be, uh, uh, you know, three-man motion dummy. Uh, 3.30 would be breakdown drills. There would always be breakdown drills for the post guys at one end and the guards at the other. Right. And that would that would be a 20-minute segment and we would uh you know either coach hugs would be at one end with with somebody and and uh, there were two coaches at the other end or he would be at midcourt uh, kind of watching both and helping with both and and two assistant coaches would be at each end instructing and but there was always a 20 minute segment there for breakdowns <laughs> i felt that was always a a good thing and you know then you'd be maybe 350 to 410, you'd have backdoor offense, dummy, and and then live, 405 to 410 would be live. Uh, 410 to 420 would be um, press break versus zone, Uh, you know, and then you just continue on through the practice with those kinds of breakdowns. I don't think it it varies a whole bunch today, his practices are still very much the same and Without a practice plan, I think you get off beat pretty easily. You can you can start to wander and spend more time. And I found that uh, I'm sure he did too, that you just kind of, you want to stay on, on you know what you're doing. So at the end of the day, you can look back and say, ah, shucks, I forgot to do that today, or I wanted to do this, and we didn't. And if you've got it written down and you follow your practice plan and you put the clock to it, you know, we'd always have the clock running, and when it got down to, to right. the end of the drill, a buzzer would ring, and you go on to the next drill, and managers reset the clock.
1: Right, and you would not, I'm assuming you did not go over that time period. Hey, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we haven't done this well enough. Let's, let's continue on this. How do you all do that? He you just, you just stopped it and moved yeah, on, right? Yeah,
0: rarely did we go on. Now, once in a while, he'd say put another five minutes on there. But generally, that would be in a five-on-five setting where we're running motion offense or we're running zone offense or we're running man defense. And, you know, he might want to spend an extra few minutes. But generally, you know, there were three hours of practice on there already, so you didn't want to extend it too much. But that's back right. when you could –
1: yeah, and were you guys
0: more- – well, I was just going to say that's yeah, back go ahead. when I'm you sorry, Coach. hour practice. You know, today you're not even allowed to do that in the NCAA. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, we had many practices that were over three right. hours. Many.
1: Yeah, and I just – I guess I'm just old school. It's like if a college coach wants – I think we have too many limitations for college guys now. I, I just think we – I think we're almost – we're protecting the athlete too much, you know, as far as even in the off season, um, one of those teams that's coming to my clinic, I mean, they're allowed, I think it's like two hours per week for a D2 school. And, I'm, and it's probably maybe a little more than that. It's like, why don't they allow these teams to practice more? I, I, I just, I don't get that because if not, A lot of these kids are just wasting time. What do do you think about that? Well, yeah, I
0: think it's a sign of the times. You know, in baseball, Major League uh, Baseball today, pitchers rarely finish a game, you know. And uh, I just read yesterday where Gaylord Perry, they had a flashback and he had uh, 17 complete games uh, one year, you know. And uh, and Dean Chance, who was another good friend that I had from from Worcester, and he told me – he pitched into the 14th or 15th inning on five or six occasions in his major league career. So pitch counts <laughs> were something nobody even, even looked at. Um, now, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. And whether three hour practices are good or bad, I don't know, but um, certainly the mindset was a little different back in that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Hey coach, let's talk about clinics. I spoke to Gene Durden, last night. So you're following yeah. the great Gene Dirty. They got two oh, great Gene coaches great back to back. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. And um well, you were talking about coaching clinics. And here in Georgia, it might be different in Ohio. Georgia does not have enough coaching clinics. And we were talking about that. Um first of all, what's your what's the value of a coaching clinic on court with coaches? And does Ohio have a lot of um you know, learning environments like that for their coaches. Well, they don't
0: have a lot, but they do have uh, some that are that are, I think, more quality than quantity anymore. Uh, used to be there were a bunch of them, but you know, as you and I have talked before, there's so much stuff online that that people <laughs> go to now. But you lose that one-on-one interaction with coaches. And when you go to a coaching <laughs> clinic, you always feel like you come out of there having talked with somebody you liked or, or renewing a. Uh, an old acquaintance or making a new acquaintance and and that's as much a part of coaching as as the x's and o's because that's somebody you can call later or you can scrimmage later and uh, that's that's really how you
1: develop as a coach and no doubt because i have met uh, just by doing this podcast randy i've met so many a lot of the coaches i already know but I've met a lot of coaches, like a Randy Kaufman out of Tennessee, who's a brilliant girls' basketball coach. And um, I just met him, and now we're in contact. And um, you know, anytime I need to call him, he's helping me out. So I, yes, I it's exactly. that networking, and, isn't it?
0: And uh, that's that's wise on your part because that's how we learned. I mean, i i didn't I didn't know anything about basketball. I thought I did. I could play a little bit, but never really you know understood how to teach the game and and then you get out on the road and you you work camps and you meet meet people that uh you know i I think i've talked to you before a little bit you know went to five star and went to pocono mountains and different places and worked camp with with guys that were completely unknown at that time and that was like the john calipari's and the jimmy valvanos and uh uh, just, uh, Pete Gillen, uh, who was at Notre Dame and, uh, Virginia, uh, Pat Kennedy was at Florida state. Those were all young guys that we all worked together and would go out at night after, after camp and, you know, sit around and talk. And that was fun. And that's how you learned and, and, uh, made, made new relationships.
1: Yeah. Cause I think you're right. I, I think we all view it like, you know, our opinion is the best. And a lot of times by getting feedback, it really improves your, your thinking process for basketball. I'm telling you, sometimes we don't oh, know no, everything. Absolutely. And there's like, different ways to do yeah. things,
0: you know. There's always <laughs> uh, a but different you know, way to have... do things, and that doesn't mean there's one right way. There's, it's good to hear different perspectives on things.
1: Right, right. And I still believe coaches need to do their – coach to their own style and not somebody else's. Hey, let's talk about the art of coaching. Because I think you're really brilliant at uh, the art of coaching and how to build a team. How, If you were going into a new program, which you have uh, at West Branch, uh, but you have a lot of experience, a new coach going in building a program, what are some key things that he should do or she should do? Well, I
0: think what you just said was important, Kevin. You want to establish your – philosophy, your individual belief of how you want to play the game and um, I think that's really a a thing to go in and and sell right away. The first year is extremely important and you want to go in and and everybody's hungry to play and and get a new coach and new system and uh, you want to go in with that idea of what you're doing, you know what you're doing and you know what you want to see and I think you'll never have as much uh, enthusiasm toward you as the head coach leader as you will that first year and then uh, you know when you want to being a head coach brings so many um, things along with it today and even back then about marketing your program and um, just uh, promoting it and doing different things to to make your program stand out having a nice locker room and and Raising money to help uh, make it first class. Um, I'm from obviously Ohio here, which is very close to where Paul Brown um, coached at Maslin. And uh, if you go by Maslin High School, you you see just exactly the impact of what he wanted and thought was important. And uh, he told some people, and I I've listened to that a long time ago, and still believe it today that it only costs a few extra dollars to go first class. And um, I think that kids realize that when you buy your stuff, buy good stuff. And when you go on a trip, feed them steaks, you know, make them work hard and earn it, but reward them at the end. I think those are the kinds of things that uh, kids will relate to and know that you care about them. And, and uh, when it comes time to compete and, you know, you become a unit.
1: Yeah, I love that term, first class. Um, and that—that's a great term. <clears throat> um, preseason banquets, three-on-three tournaments, mm-hmm. game programs—all the things that I've—I've I've, uh, picked your brain about. I think you're—I think you're really great at that. Uh, you've given me a lot of good ideas on promoting your program. Tell a little bit in particular about your big three-on-three tournament. You mentioned it before. I don't think a lot of, I mean, I'll, this is a great idea for schools to utilize. I don't think anybody's doing it. Um, talk about that a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, that's, uh, that was a, an undertaking for sure. And I think it's for somebody that is maybe starting a program in a new school. Um, if you have a parking lot out back, um, survey it, look around for a, a major sponsor, try to sell that major sponsor on what you want to do which is uh, we used the Gus Macker as our, uh, you know, our blueprint. We went to a car dealer and said, look, we want to do this here. And it was build baskets, put a circus tent up, you know, turn it into a basketball weekend and then give all the publicity to the, to the major sponsor. And they bought it. You know, they they gave us $10,000 and um, a friend of mine who was a salesman, Uh, showed me how to do that or what he, he actually approached the guy and with, uh, with he and I together went to the dealership and sat down and I watched him, how he did it. And pretty soon that dealer was uh, completely into it and gave us $10,000 cash to spend on the baskets, building baskets and, and, uh, you know, getting, getting uh, circus tents and, and putting uh, hot air balloons to, uh, to, go off the night before the event and bringing some pro players in for a clinic on the night right before we start the tournament and coming up with uh, major prizes, posters, billboards, um, full page ads and newspapers, all the things that, uh, a car dealer has access to. He gave us for, you know, about a two, two right. month period. So it, did wonders for you know the promotion of basketball uh at triway high school the very first job that i was at for 20 years and uh, you know it was a full weekend carnival and a neat neat thing and everybody knew what the three-on-three was
1: yeah and i, I tell you i was looking at that this year and i i know the undertaking. i actually studied the gus macker mm-hmm. like you said um to be done eventually by Kevin Furtado, Randy, but I don't know when. Um, but that's in the back of my mind. Hey, but but can it realistically be done these days? Because it's not being done. I mean, well, you I know, mean, you don't know whether yeah, you don't know do you whether say-
0: it's it's because of liability anymore or what. Um, like I said, it evolved for us. We started off with twenty-four teams the first year, and then once we got this major sponsor, it turned into five hundred teams. And it literally went from Friday night until Sunday night. And you had to have security there uh, all night long, uh, you know, because it's an outdoor courts and people would come in and steal the T-shirts and uh, vandals and all that. (laughs) So we had to have uh, 24-hour security. Uh, We had to have a place to, to store all the baskets. I mean, we had, you know, 12 baskets, wooden baskets, freestanding baskets that had to be stored somewhere, had to be put on a tractor trailer literally on Sunday night and taken to a a barn that was given to us and just a lot help from the community, but it really became a big event. And um, like I said, we had billboards around town. Not only advertising the three on three but advertising you know our basketball program, which is what we wanted to do and um uh, there's there's a lot of things that can be done with that, but you have to you have to put a lot of time into it and and work at it
1: There's a lot of work out. um what did um did you guys, you, you got i'm sure you all made did you make a lot of money out of it or or is it it did it take a while to bring the money for your programs i know that was a big part of it too
0: well yeah that's a good point um you know we got ten thousand dollars up front from the sponsor so they paid for uh all the t-shirts and all the awards and all the prizes and, and everything that we did and we made it first class you know the winners got to got to go to the final four uh, literally the final four and they got a van and hotels and tickets and all that stuff to go yeah that was all donated by the sponsor and then the money that uh we used And you know, we had 500 t-shirts to buy so not 500 at 1500 t-shirts because you had 500 yeah. teams and uh, probably ended up buying 2000 t-shirts plus another uh 200 golf shirts for the people that worked and um so there was a lot of money that we spent you know
1: <laughs> yeah
0: on the uh, <laughs> on the actual event, so making money was never the objective. Although we would end up, you know, with two or three thousand, I would say, right. back in the eighties, was you know a good amount of money. And um, but the idea was to promote the program and to uh, help the sponsor feel good about what they got, and you know, to get everybody in the community involved in playing basketball.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I'm a sure Triway. Um, just from studying and researching, Tri- Triway had a great reputation under you. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And that, that, for any of the listeners, I think you got to do more than just coach basketball to build a program. And you were the master of that.
0: Well, there is a lot to it. And uh, the X's and O's are one facet, and um, personality. Uh, The coach to the community and the players and the enthusiasm and having, you know, your family that behind you, backing you is important. And, and, you know, for us, basketball has really been a a major part of our lives, all of our lives, our family. And um, I think that's a big part of the success that you have that just about everything we did, you know, centered around that. And Right. You need to have that for sure if you're going to be successful, but you're right there's there's many facets to to winning uh, a winning basketball program. You mentioned a banquet you know we had a banquet at Hoover that you know was after I look back at it was amazing to have the kind of speakers that we had there Austin Carr and Larry Johnson, Jerry Tarkanian, um, Larry Nance, just had you know. Many, many big time people come
1: there and speak. Yeah, Yeah, that's big time. I I just that's the one thing I really caught my eye with uh, just just on the promotions. Uh, Randy, talk about the shot clock. I know that you want a modified shot clock or or maybe no. I think more of a modified. I think talk a little bit about your philosophy on the shot clock uh, coming into uh, the high school game.
0: Well, I, I'm not in favor of a shot clock, but it, you know, there's a push to do it and everybody really gets angry when you say you don't want one. Uh, So I guess if I I don't have a problem with a shot clock, I wouldn't want it to be anything less than than 35 seconds because I think that anything less than that really takes away from, from uh, running offensively anything to, to try to score. So it becomes just an athletic game where it's AAU. You press and you trap and you score off your defense all the time. And offense comes down and guys go one-on-one and shoot. And then the other guy rebounds, he throws it out and that guy shoots. And to me, that's not, there's no coaching involved with that. And I think if you have a 30, 35 second shot clock, you can come down and you can be patient and you can, force your kids to execute defensively and offensively. And also they'll learn lessons in life about uh, quality of possessions being equal to quality of um, experiences in life. So you don't hurry through decisions that are important and make sure you make good decisions.
1: Yeah, I like that. Possessions, decisions. I I never, I mean, that, that's a great. I mean, I, I love that term. I'm going to steal that from you, Coach. By the way, um, I love that. Radio. Um, yeah, and I just feel like, <laughs> I just feel like the shot clock is just everybody's focusing on the NBA. I, I just think high school is not the NBA, but it's amazing all these smart people in our country with basketball, and we're focusing so much on what the NBA does.
0: Well, that's right, and kind of you know. Uh... Filters on down transfers and all that stuff used to never happen, and now kids move and change schools just like they do in the NBA and they do in the NCAA and <laughs> yeah you're right. Back, Magic Johnson and and even before that you would never uh, change that. Yeah, it just. It... So as you know, guys wouldn't wouldn't uh you know they wouldn't change schools or change teams like they do today. And today it's it's commonplace.
1: It's commonplace. It's really scary in the high school. There's transfers. Um of course we actually we have a couple of kids transferring to us, but um, but that's under a different circumstances. We're not recruiting. There's a lot of stuff going on with high schools, probably more Randy than colleges. Um, it's really scary out there nowadays.
0: Well, it is. And it wasn't like that, Kevin, you know, I, our high school, you know, you'd have never thought about leaving our high school when I was growing up or, or before that, you just wouldn't. Yeah. And uh, that was your, be true to your school. You know, there was a song by the beach boys, you know? So, uh, that's just a change. And that's just, uh, the culture today. I think we have to just live with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely on that. Um, Coach, you won three state titles in Ohio, 2000, 2001, 2004. We talked about this before. What, and I know it's not always about talent, but talent helps. But what were some of the separators that led you to those state titles? Well,
0: those were Associated Press uh, titles, which uh, means at the end of the season you were undefeated and voted number one by the uh, Associated Press. And then you went into the actual tournament. Um, okay. We did not win the, um, you know, the, the state championship going through the whole tournament, but uh, we did finish undefeated and, and were voted ranked number one throughout the, uh, throughout the season. So um, I just wanted to clarify that, but you do, you do um, okay. have to have a certain chemistry within your team, leaderships. Um, I think all those teams were good foul shooters. Which is an important part of basketball that's overlooked. And they understood the value of possessions, which is first and foremost, I think you got to value possessions. And um, that's one thing Coach Huggins' father told me, or Bob's dad told me, you know, <laughs> the further you go in tournaments and the bigger the game, the you realize every possession counts. You can't just come down and fire it up. Because if you come down and fire it up, a disciplined team is going to make you pay for that. And that really stuck with me.
1: That's a great point. I was talking with Gene Durden. He's won six state championships here in Georgia. And I said, Gene, I asked him the same question. And he told me, he says, he gave me an example of one game where they were, they're a pressing team. And he said he's told they were down by 14, I think, against a school called Carrollton. And he said they took off the press, and he just told them, we're going to have to grind out every possession. And he just calls it the grind. Um, And he just said, I mean, no pressing, half-court offense, half-court defense, that's what won them the game. What do you think about that?
0: You know, you're going to try to press, and you're going to try to do the things that you do, but you're going to meet a team somewhere where that isn't effective, where it isn't effective for a while. So you're going to have to be a half-court possession team and um you know more times than not we were that team that forced the other team uh to slow down and uh you know like i said they run and and try to throw shots up and and just get more shots up and and win on athleticism whereas at the other end you want to be more patient try to grind it out as coach durden said and and really you know make each possession count throughout the game. And if you do that, the other team's not used to that. A lot of times they'll fold and that'll be the difference in a big game.
1: Yeah. And it's about taking care of the ball, getting high percentage shots. It's a cliche, but it's so true in state tournament games. It's funny how pressing does not work in state tournaments. And of course, Nowadays, it's everybody's pressing, wants to press, and they want to shoot the three. Those are two things that really, I think, I think forces you to lose games yeah. more than anything else. But everybody's doing it. Well, again, that.
0: the team that has the best talent is going to win. And if you have a short shot clock there, it's just going to become an entertainment where you're going up and down. And sure, that can be cool to, fun to watch, but it isn't, you know, it's always going to be a predictable outcome just as in the NBA right now, you know, no one's going to beat Golden State. And um, I, I'm seeing a little bit more developing from Boston now where they're integrating, you know, not only good talent, but, but good coaching. And they're, they're going to be a tough team to, to take out with Brad Stevens there.
1: Yeah, it's amazing what he's done. A lot of college coaches have tried to come up to the, to the pro level. But Stevens is an amazing coach. I, I just, I, I think, I think next to Popovich, he's hands down the best coach. But there's a lot of great coaches in, in the NBA. But he's an unbelievable teacher. Uh, just really quick, what's your opinion oh, on Stevens?
0: You no, know, obviously very good. And uh, he hasn't had great talent. I mean, Popovich had great talent. He had Tim Duncan and uh, you know guys down there for for twenty years that were pretty good. And and he's a good coach. There's no question. But uh I think uh, what Brad has done, taking a program that was, you know, very dormant and turning it into, uh, you know, a world class program right now. You know, they lost two very good players and, and almost beat the Cavs this year in in the finals. So you add Kyrie Irving and uh, Gordon Haywood to that team. and I think they do beat the Cavs. Not only do they beat the Cavs, but I think they have a chance the way they played. With the discipline and the structure to give Golden State a great game, but you know, again, the talent would probably win out in a twenty-four second clock.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I, and I'm not going to talk about <laughs> your Cavaliers. Okay, we'll leave yeah. that alone. Yeah, <laughs> we won't yeah. talk about that. <laughs> uh, but I, I think they did the right thing. I think it was time to start over without LeBron. What do you think about that? I mean, I just um I thought it was actually a good of course LeBron didn't want to stay there. But man, it's time, man. It's time to get away. Even though he's a great player, I think it's time to rebuild. Of course, that's a non I'm not I'm not a cavalier guy, but you might have a different opinion. Well, I,
0: I uh I hated to see Kyrie Irving go. And um you know, the reasons yeah. that he went, I don't know that were disclosed. And um, you know, if we had him here now along with Kevin Love and and some of the young talent that we have, um I think we'd be fine, but uh, you know, you're, you're in a sure. you're in a player's league where the players run things, uh, and uh, if they want to, uh, Tim Duncan didn't necessarily want to. He wanted to coach the coach, and I'm not sure that's the case in Cleveland, but um, we'll see as time goes on here. You know what happens, and, and I think uh, Ty Lue will do a lot more coaching this year, whatever his level of coaching is.
1: yeah I agree with that I think he was limited with LeBron there um coach tell me about your defensive philosophy we haven't spoken a lot about your defense tell me because uh, I know you're at a program now where you're not blessed with unbelievable talent how do you how do you defend some of the better teams in your in your in your league
0: well I think it's what you said Kevin you know you want to coach your personality and, and my personality is to be aggressive and to get after teams and really really hustle and scrap and And uh, make every possession count defensively where, you know, every shot's contested, every pass is uh, contested, and you really, you know, learn to um, develop, you know, as a team in an aggressive manner. And that's the way I like to play. I like to press, like trap, and like to do all those things that cause turnovers and get the game going up and down. But, you know, you can't do that all the way to the state finals here in Ohio. Um, you have to. You're gonna right. have to be patient. You're gonna have to be able to do a little bit of both if you can. And that's kind of where we we do we
1: are. So do you, yeah, yeah. Do you get out and I mean, how do you play your man? You play man or zone? What, what what's your primary? We play, we play man, both. To man You know, we
0: we run a number of different defenses really, and and uh, obviously we build it yeah. all off our man to man. But we try to try to be aggressive, but yet be able to change change because teams can be tearing your your man-to-man up all week and working on it and so if you switch to a zone lots of times they'll they'll go stagnant so uh, I think you need more than one one defense and that's just me though you know Bob Knight was very successful playing mostly man and a lot of coaches you know play one defense Jim Beheim plays all zone and um, they feel comfortable with that and have been successful.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think you definitely have to have a philosophy. I, I believe in aggressive change-up defenses. Uh, we'll change on made baskets, missed shots, um, just because I think it at our level, it keeps teams way off balance. Now, we not we might not be great at any one of those, but the change – Will really force teams out of their rhythm. What, what do you what do you um, what do you what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I
0: think it does. Um, you know, it depends on your team. Um, I've had some teams that could do that and do it well, and then some other teams that you you think, oh, this is going to be a good team to be able to switch defenses, and they don't. So um, you just got to, you know, as you know, you get your team and you kind of see what they can do and can't do, and, and then you have to adjust to that. But uh, we, we try. We try to do a lot of switching, whether it's me, me telling them to switch or, or uh, ideally if you've got a good point guard that, that understands what you want, he can change defenses. And obviously that's, that can be uh, something the other team has to adjust to.
1: Yeah, of course. I'll probably be calling you later saying, oh, Randy, we can only play one defense. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that's true. I'm probably wrong again. Uh-
1: <laughs> um hey talk about your four corner offense I- i'm gonna name my four corners montgomery probably um i'm not gonna call it four corners talk a little bit about that
0: well four corners is something that you know i picked up from uh watching dean smith's teams play way back in the 80s and and uh, he had phil ford and uh you know i watched the concept of it and it was it was something that really is given a lot of success to us over the years. So we run four corners as an offense. It's not a stall ever. It's called four to score. And we try to go into a four corner uh, formation and then we, we go out of it, you know, we go and um, we try to create a high percentage offensive situation. So uh, we spread the floor with, with three out front and two down in the far corners and, If you got a good point guard, it starts there. And and right now we've developed one that's into his junior year that's more than ready to do that. So if he can get by his man out front and keep the other two out out front guarding the other two at midcourt, there's a lot of room there. And you can get good good layups and good high percentage looks. So you also teach possession, um, you know, uh, consistency and also, uh, you know, valuing those possessions by playing four corners. You really get a bad shot out of four to score, at least in our offense.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, I love about it is particularly against aggressive man-to-man defenses. You know what the shot you want? You want layups, yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds right. kind of crazy, but we look for we don't look for right. pull-up jumpers. We look for layups, uncontested mm-hmm. layups. Yep.
0: <laughs> and you get them, you know, teams, uh, if they, if they yeah, have to come you. out on you, but they'll try to yeah. sag and you got to, that's when you got to be able to bring it back out. And if it were a 35 second clock, you can bring it out and still, yeah. and yeah, still right you know that. do that. Believe it or not, you get the ball across mid court and you get into four corners at, at the 25 second mark. I mean, you can, We'll hold on to it for five, six, seven, eight, eight seconds and make the other team come out and run it down to ten seconds. And if we go to ten and they've still sagged and they don't have to come out, we'll run a set and get the shot we want and okay, we're off to the other end. So that's that's the um, the difference.
1: Yeah, and you are controlling the tempo. Yeah
0: exactly and that's that's what you want to do. You're controlling the ball
1: yeah. with- Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tempo control. Um, Tell me a little bit about, uh, and I only have a couple more questions. I know you're a busy man. Talk about what you're doing right now with your preseason workouts. Everybody's different. How do you train your players in the preseason?
0: Well, it used to be, you could only have an open gym. And uh, you just had to open the gym and let kids play. Sometimes other kids would come from other schools and you could, you know, go against each other a little bit but it, it was nothing organized and two years ago Ohio went to four-man uh, workouts which I think is, is a great idea yeah so now we can do that we can work with our guys in individual settings and and improve their skills and and really be more productive than the open gym was
1: that's what we have here in Georgia do you four men um same thing and yep. we have uh, for, man yeah absolutely but your yeah. season starts um, early doesn't I, it? I'm not a big believer I know. it well uh ours are are we start practice October 22nd when do y'all so start our
0: practices in Ohio don't start till November 4th for boys so uh you know okay. our state okay. football championships are that weekend as well so if a team were to make it all the way to the finals in football you know they would only be missing a week or two of, of, uh, practice.
1: Right. Give, give an example of uh, what are you working with uh, your kids right now? Like, are you focusing on their weaknesses, their strengths? You have like a set workout plan. How do you do it? Cause I'm always looking for sort of different ideas for that.
0: Well, we do, um, right now I'm working on, uh, agility conditioning and doing things with, uh, with trapping so that we can be a good defensive trapping team. Um, we're doing uh, some shooting reps, uh, just a little bit of uh, things to improve skill level. And, you know, just try to keep them hungry. That's the key. I mean, you can – your guys are going to be really excited right now yeah. to, to be there, and they're not going to be that way in March if you, if you lose their uh, – their interests so we haven't done much to be honest we're not really starting back up until next monday and we went we went all through right june july and then we we continued to to uh go agility conditioning through august which is a dead period but we are allowed to condition and do agility drills jumping and so forth so we made a lot of progress through august and then once august hit end of august we shut it down here for about three weeks so and I think the guys are starting to text me they want to get started again, and that's good.
1: Right That's good. Yep. yeah, they're hungry again. Um, hey, tell me about your favorite leadership book or tell me or just give me one specific thing that you do to build leaders in your program
0: well that's that's a good question. I think um, it's tough to it's tough to uh, develop a leader. I think a leader is something that's kind of innate. Uh, My experience has been when I've had good kids that were leaders, um, you know, they, they had that ability before they got to me. I I might've helped them develop it further, but you can do things as a team to make the team accountable, you know, to make sure that they're holding each other accountable. And, uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, uh, you know, we have a big brother program that we do with our middle school kids and, um, we have a thought for the day every day um, before practice. I'll call them right to midcourt and, and we'd have a two minute thought for the day. And I'll have the player want call on a player to explain what that is. Something simple like uh, seldom, if ever, do you exceed your own expectations? Um, you know, I'll say, "Hey, Kevin, what does that mean? Tell tell the team. You'll, you'll have to explain that right. Sure, so I like that. That's just something that gives everybody <laughs> a chance to have to step forward, get out of that comfort zone. but um, some are very good at it and some are, are are still not very good. They give you a canned answer. And it's difficult to change that I found you know, the kids that have it and really embellish you know those kinds of situations are really your good leaders.
1: Yeah. Don't you agree that we focus too much on leadership rather than good being a good follower? What What do you think about that?
0: Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, team has to compete together and you can do things to help bonding, especially today. You know, in the old days, the coach said it, you did it. Um, and it's not that way anymore. It's, you have to explain to kids why you're doing something, what's the benefit to them and, and, uh, and then include more of those bonding situations uh, rather than just do it because I said so. And um, right. those are, you know, just times have changed a little bit. And back in the '60s, '70s, and '80s, uh, that's that was vogue. You know, even with Coach <laughs> Huggins, you know, there was no, there was no debate with sure. him. And to to this day, there's not a lot of debate. But he does he does talk to his players more and like to be more. Uh, Congenial, I guess, uh, in building that and more cognizant of building that than, than they would probably have been in the 80s.
1: And you know what? Uh, my last point, Gene mentioned yesterday, he says um, that he, he believes that kids have changed because uh, some people believe that kids have not changed. You've coached a long time. Have kids changed? He said mainly because of social media and Internet access and all that. What's your philosophy on that? Have kids changed or just the times have changed? Well,
0: I think kids have changed. Um, They have uh, different um, standards by which they'll perform than they did. And I think uh, a big part of that is their parents. And a big part of that is social media and that type of uh, outside influence that we have today that we did not have you know early in the 60s 70s and 80s um parents back then would totally you know back you for the most part and um the authority figures that uh, a coach represented was uh similar to what an authority figure was back then it's not quite the same today um i think there's that always that uh, wanting to be i you don't know Understand why something is the way it is, rather than just because it is. It's not black and white, and uh, social media also enhances that by by accenting a, a lot of the negative. You know, a lot of stuff that's out there, even though it's right. it's positive in its quote text, it isn't a positive thing. It creates negative feelings, and I I would agree with Gene on that. It's it's definitely has changed, and not not worse. Kids aren't worse they're just have changed a little differently and you have to find different things to uh, motivate that team in a different way. And that's, that's a coach's job. Every team I've ever coached has been different. As I'm sure, you know, from your teams, every team's different. And uh, the chemistry is different just by moving, removing one player. Sometimes there's just a major change in your team, whether it be good or bad. And those are things that uh, a good coach can, can get a pulse on his team and try to try to enhance it to its highest level of uh, you know, participation.
1: Yeah. And that's a credit to your leadership over, uh, you know, so many years. Um, of course, you're probably going coach. I'm not that old, <laughs> like, uh, but you have, <laughs> you're not that old, Randy. Um but your leadership over the years, because you dealt with kids from different eras, it uh, just says a lot about your leadership on how you could work um, in different decades um, with kids. It says a lot about your leadership. And leadership, to me, lasts forever. I don't care what age a coach is. Um, but um, but Randy, we appreciate we appreciate you joining us. Um, it was great to talk to you. You're always full of wisdom. Uh, what's one last piece of advice you would like to give our listeners? And, and our listeners are going up. I mean, I have guys like Randy Montgomery and Gene Durden, man. My listeners, I mean, I'm increasing my listening audience.
0: That's no, nice. I'm, <laughs> um, I'm honored to be a part of it, Kevin. But I, I, I guess the one thing that I would leave with is, is there's nothing wrong with winning. And today we, we tend to talk that, you know, winning isn't important. And I've always felt that winning is important. Now, how you go about it and how you react to not winning is important. But it's, it is important to win. Uh, Culture is different when you win. You know, fan perception is different when you win. Parental per, uh, perception is different when you win. The school, community, everything is different when you win. So you, you should try to win. And that should carry on into life, you know, whatever job you go into. um, You know, I think we used the analogy before that it was a winner. Or do you want one that, um, you know, just he's going to he's going to go in and and try and and do his best. But he wasn't at the top of his class. And I think everybody wants that winner wants that guy that's successful. And. And uh, that's just the way life is and. I think there's nothing wrong with that, and and to today's society, it's, um, you know, we don't want to take it to the to the wrong level. You see, coaches screaming and hollering, and, and you know, doing things. That's not what I'm saying. But there's nothing wrong with talking to your guys. I think about trying to to win and, and to succeed. And uh, I know I'm uh, speaking in a different tone, than even coach wouldn't you know at UCLA never discussed winning and some coaches don't but but I've always talked about it's important to to try to win and if we don't okay we're going to tip our hand our hats at the other team and we're going to go back and work hard and as long as we did our best and you know our day will come
1: I love that hey Randy coach thank you so much for uh joining us and sharing with us on that. I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, I'm going to miss you at the clinic. I, I'm hoping you can come back this, uh, you know, next year for our Legends Clinic. But I wish you the best of luck, well, and thanks luck again this for, weekend, uh, Kevin. for I know sharing a with great us. Thank event. you, Coach. I
0: hope, hope that a lot of coaches take advantage of that. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Good. Luck. Thank you, Coach. Good luck this year. Thank you. I've had so many things happen to me that I never dreamed would happen and it's all a result
0: of uh, being around good people and getting on good teams.